What's up, everyone? I hope you are doing well today in light of everything that's going on in the world. But we are here for episode 156 of the MMA Ratings Podcast. This is Matthew Garcia here with Shawan Hughes. And first and foremost, I hope everyone's safe. I hope everyone is um, able to enjoy what they can during these hard times, especially if you're in cities where I am, where you're basically like stuck in because everything is closed. But Shawan, man, how are you doing, sir? Let everybody know how you're doing. Uh, not too bad. It's a little bit different in Texas, I guess, because... A lot of stuff is still open. Uh, we just had uh, my kids just got out of school for about three weeks now. They're going to have three weeks off. But other than that, I'm 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 still going to work. My job still opens up and expects us to be there. So it's kind of strange. I'm working at an office supply company now. I used to work at a rock quarry. And they're still open, really? Yeah, they're still placing orders, taking orders. I just made five, uh, filled five orders today, and I just been calling people. Uh, trying to get them to take care of accounts that are delinquent. So I guess people are still showing up all over Texas. Are bars and restaurants closed yet? Uh, they got the restaurants mostly for the uh, drive-through, but they're not, they're not completely open, but they're, they're still serving. They're just doing drive-through. Yeah. Most of the, well, the clubs and nightclubs here are closed. Um, the bars here are closed. Uh, gyms are closed here. So yeah, it, it's, it's pretty much shutting down. Yeah, they. I guess Texas is a little bit behind because they just now started. They had a rec center. Now that's officially closed. They had another gym that was closed. I didn't even, you know, it just started happening. And, you know, I trained like kids in basketball. So everything's kind of hit a grinding stop, grinding halt in the past couple of days. But as far as work and everything, I'm still going. Kids are off for the next two, two and a half weeks. But I'm still checking into work every day, getting get up, get dressed, head out there and eight or nine hours there and then come back home. True, I definitely understand that. Um, but we have a little bit to talk about from the world of mixed martial arts. We're going to talk about UFC Brasilia from this past Saturday. We're also going to talk about the impact that coronavirus is having on the mixed martial arts community and also get some listener questions in. We have, I think, two questions in that we're going to cover today. So before we do that, let's talk first and foremost about the... Um, where you can find our show. As always, you can go over to MMARatings.net to rank our fights and let us know uh, how excited you are about the upcoming fights. Right now, not that much to be excited about, but you can still go over to MMARatings.net and uh, read a lot of the content that's there. You can check out past episodes of this podcast as well. And you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at MMARatingsNet on both platforms. You can catch our podcast on various channels such as Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Apple iTunes. And you can also catch us on YouTube by searching for MMA Ratings. Please be sure to like and share our content and let us know what you think. You can add comments there. And you can also send us questions over on Twitter to either myself, Schwan, or, or the MMA Ratings Net uh, Twitter handle. So, Schwan, let's go ahead and jump into results from Saturday, where in the main event, we saw Charles Oliveira get a submission win over Kevin Lee in the third round. And this is a fight that a lot of people were expecting Kevin Lee to get the win. And we know that Charles Oliveira is great. We know he's good. I mean, he has he's sneaky good. He has a lot of records that people don't really recognize and that he's just been doing his thing, collecting scalps left and right. And this fight was pretty interesting, but he was able to get the finish via um, guillotine choke in the third round. He caught Kevin Lee stepping in for a single leg. And as you teach everyone in basic uh, jujitsu, basic wrestling, 
basic MMA. You don't want to get caught with your head to the outside. And that's exactly what happened because he was able to finish the guillotine from there, getting the tap, I think, 48 seconds into the third round. So what did you think of both men in this outing? Let's start there. Uh, it, I think they pretty much showed me what I expected to see from them. The, uh, the biggest thing that shocked me was, I guess... I really felt that Kevin was going to come in a little bit more disciplined as far as his offense and his defense on the feet. And it seemed like he just started getting it back into the habit of being kind of desperate and kind of trying to force a, an approach that he, that's not really effective for him. The biggest issue I've had with Kevin Lee is he fights in the wrong manner. It's like he thinks he's an elite athlete, like an A-plus athlete, and he's really more like a B-minus. And he fights like he has these huge athletic and physical advantages over guys, and he just doesn't. Like, he's a good athlete, but he's not a guy who can just fight dumb or fight sloppy or throw wide or take bad shots because he's such a dynamic force. There's lots of fighters who could get away with what he does because they're good enough athletes, they're physical and strong enough, they're physically durable enough, and he's none of those things. But he fights in a reckless manner like he is. And in his last fight, I saw some growth, saw some maturity, saw some focus, but it was a short fight. So you don't, I kind of assumed that he would take the next step because he seems like a smart guy. But in this fight, it seemed like he regressed a little bit. Once Oliveira started pushing back and challenging him in certain positions and putting hands on him, it seemed like he went back to overreacting to everything defensively and over-pursuing offensively. And ultimately, against a guy like Charles Oliveira, you, you can't chase takedowns. You can't chase takedowns. You can't chase takedowns. You can't even really chase strikes because any, he's an opportunistic grappler. I don't know how good he is from top to bottom as far as his structure, A to Z. But as far as finding finding an opening because somebody gets too sloppy or over aggressive, he might as well be the elite of the elite in MMA. If you if you over pursue against him or you leave an opening, he's going to take it and get a submission, and that's essentially what he did against Kevin Lee. Kevin Lee just got desperate, uh, trying to force a takedown, and ultimately paid for it. Kevin Lee knows better than that. He's a better grappler than that. But it seemed like he was under duress. He panicked, and he took a bad shot, and he was punished for it. So one question I have is, do you think the tide of the fight was changing? I, Looking at the fight, I believe Oliveira won the first round. He was much more aggressive, even though he was on his back with the various heel hook entry, entries he was going with, the submission entries he was going for. Uh, round two, I thought Kevin Lee had kind of took over, and I thought from that forward we was going to see much more of him kind of like taking control and, and being able to outpace Oliveira's uh, output. I saw something that Oliveira may have injured his shoulder in the fight as well. But looking at where we were before the fight ended, did you think the tide was beginning to change in Lee's uh, favor? Well, the, the thing about it is when I saw Lee starting to take over, I felt like that wasn't a good look for him because Lee tends to, he tends to get lazy or lackadaisical when he really starts feeling sure of himself. He did it against, you know... Ally Quinta in his first, you know, first fight, he had some brief moments where he was kind of dominating. He got in the comfort zone, and then when the fight turned, it's like he 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 checked out of it. When he played, um, when he fought Edson Barboza, he was completely dominating that fight, beating Edson from pillar to post, and then Edson hits him with a spinning kick, and he's doing the stanky leg, stumbling around, falling all over the cage. It's like he doesn't know how to maintain control once he gets it, unless he's far superior to you athletically or technically. If it's a fight where a guy has enough durability to, to navigate the rough waters or enough skill, then he starts to kind of fall apart. He did the same thing with Rafael, Rafael Desanos. He was trying to physically dominate him, and then he kind of just wore down, and Desanos 
turn the tide, turn the tide around on him. The one fight he won was really not really a long enough fight for him to be put in in, a, in adverse situations or put him in a situation where he had a chance to get lackadaisical. You like to see Kevin Lee assert himself. You like to see him use his physicality and his strength, but he doesn't seem to have any any real poise for the entirety of a fight. How many fights have we seen from Kevin Lee where he starts out really strong, he's getting takedowns, he's controlling a guy, and then a fight that he's completely dominating either becomes competitive or ends up being a loss for him? Tony, Tony Ferguson, Rafael de Sanos, uh, Oliveira, Ally Quinta. It's like there's, there's numerous examples of him coming out seemingly taking control of a fight and then out of nowhere getting submitted or just getting outworked and out hustled and beaten. It's like it's like a trend for him at this point. So when he started taking over, it didn't really it didn't really make me feel any sort of way positively because I know that when he gets cocky, when he gets comfortable, he tends to get cocky, he tends to get lackadaisical, and then he tends to lose against guys who've got enough athleticism to kind of counter his his physical advantages that he usually has. I actually kind of have a question, a listener question that we're going to ask later on um, in reference to that. But last thing I want to touch on when it comes to this fight, what do you think is next for both men? Uh, Oliveira, I believe, should leap into the top 10 with this victory. Let me check the UFC rankings to see if they've been updated in this hectic week we've been in. Let me check real quick. Um, so lightweight. He is now sitting at number eight, so he jumped up five positions while Kevin Lee dropped two and is sitting at number 10. What do you think is next for him? Should he face someone like a like a Paul Felder, even though uh, Hinata Moicano called him out, Donald Cerrone, but Donald Cerrone is fighting at 170 now. Um, there's not much left for him above uh, those two names because Dan Hooker, Justin Gaethje, Conor McGregor, Dustin Poirier, and Tony Ferguson are already kind of busy at this point in time. So what would you do next with both Charles Oliveira and Kevin Lee? Well, Charles Oliveira, you know, I, I probably, Paul Felder might be a good, wait, his, did, did he already fight Paul Felder? I want to say he's already fought Paul Felder. He did. He did. He was actually beating the shit out of, he was, he was beating the hell out of Paul Felder, took his back and was about to look like he had some good submission attempts in, but then ran out of gas and got stopped the next round. So you're right, he did yeah, fight Paul but, already. The, the, it, there's not a lot of matchups for him right now just because all the big-name guys are out. I mean, if I was him, I'd try to get the Conor McGregor fight. The thing about Oliveira is, with this streak, is Oliveira's shown improvement. His de- his offense is a little bit more crisp. Um, his wrestling's a little bit more crisp. His his grappling is still opportunistic to me, but it doesn't seem like he, he's, he explodes and wastes all his energy in one or two attempts to where at the point where he's gassing, he can't finish later on, where he gasses and he gets beaten up or stopped. So he's shown he's shown much more seasoning. He's shown much more maturity. He's kind of going through steps like A, B, C, D, and E instead of going from A to E trying to finish. And his striking's looking a little bit cleaner. But the thing that concerns me is that he's just not a very durable fighter. Against the best of the best guys, the elite talents, the elite skilled guys, he's routinely gotten gotten blown out. I mean, he was beating up Paul Felder, but Paul Felder came back and stopped him. Um, Anthony Pettis. He was competitive with Anthony Pettis, but then eventually his body failed him. Max Holloway, his body failed him. He got stopped. Um, Donald Cerrone got stopped. You know, just as he's faced the better guys, he tends to kind of either physically get stopped or mentally check out and just get out work. And I think he's appealing for a guy like Conor McGregor or maybe even a Justin Gaethje, 
for the reason that he's won enough fights in a row where people are starting to consider him a real-life contender. But the fact of the matter is, in all the fights he's won, he hasn't faced really a better athlete, and he hasn't faced anybody who's capable of putting his lights out with one shot. Kevin Lee's not that kind of striker. Justin Gaethje and Conor McGregor are. And as good as he is with his submissions, the fact of the matter is he's still not one of the best wrestlers. He's still not, still not great at getting guys down. And he still tends to hunt submissions kind of haphazardly a little bit. He's, he's starting to use entries into submissions a little bit smoother now. But before, he would just jump into them and try to finish. So if you're Conor McGregor, you're Justin Gaethje, you have this guy on a five, six, seven win streak, whatever it is, and he's looking good. But the fact of the matter is he's still not a high-end wrestler, and he's still not very durable. I mean, Kevin Lee had him in spots where he was touching him up and backing him off. Anthony Pettis basically stopped this guy. you tell me Conor McGregor couldn't land that left hand? Conor McGregor couldn't defend a couple takedowns, put him on his, put him on his back? Beat him up a little bit, let him get him, let him get back to his feet and knock him out. I can see that happening. Justin Gaethje, as soon as Justin puts a, puts about a three or four, three to five shots on him, fight's over. So he's got got an appealing enough resume recently to justify a big name, and he's just vulnerable enough where a guy it's a favorable matchup where a guy can fight him, and even though it's a favorable matchup, people are gonna ignore that because of his current current win streak. So I, I would, if I was him, I'd try to see if I could get Connor. I try to see if I can get Justin. Those are the only two guys I'm really trying to get because those are the guys who are going to get the most media attention and get you the biggest payday. With or without the contract, those are the guys that's going to draw enough eyes that are going to get you the biggest payday. Outside of that, I'm not fighting anybody. There's just no point in it. Everybody else he'd be fighting right now is the second or third tier light heavy lightweight. What does that do for him? He's already beaten up all the second, third tier lightweight. What's he going to do? Fight Ally Quinta? Nah, I'll, I'll just wait. There's no point in doing rematches. He might as well just wait. As far as Kevin Lee, I agree with what he said. He needs to take a long period of time off. I don't think that the camp is bad for him. What I think is he has the same problem that every other fighter has in mixed martial arts. They lose a couple fights, and instead, they learn a couple tricks, and then they try to jump right back in there. And you can't jump right back in there. You need to take, depending on the loss or the series of losses, you need to take six to eight months minimum, probably like more like a year and a half, to really expand your skill set, work on whatever deficiencies you have, so that when you get in these fights, when you're put into a bad situation, you still follow the game plan. You still have answers. You still look for certain counters. You look for specific things to do instead of, instead of falling back to what you always do. And what Kevin Lee did in this fight, he said it himself. My corner was giving me good instruction. I just didn't listen, which means he hadn't trained it enough for it to be second nature. That's happened to him, having people like Claudia Gadelia, having to Anthony Pettis. They're in such a rush to get that, that ranking back that they rush back out there and they one loss turns into two, turns into three, turns into four. Same thing's happening to Kevin Lee. He needs to take time off, really go back to the drawing board and address the mental and strategical holes he has in his game. You can't just fix that in three months. You can't just fix it in four months. You can't cover it up with a knockout. You have to really address the problem. So I'm saying he takes six to eight months off minimum. I prefer like a year and a half and then come back and see, see where he's at. But right now, uh, he just needs to take a break. He doesn't even need to be fighting in my, in my estimation. What are your thoughts about Kevin Lee not being in the right weight class? How greatly would a 165-pound class benefit him, uh, seeing how he fares at 155 and struggling to make that weight? It, it would it would benefit him to a degree, but the thing is, a fighter's old fighter's old, and I'm not a fighter, so you know this. And as a person who's competed, I don't want to disrespect you. Somebody actually pointed out to me. They're like, you know, Rafael's Rafael's competed. Doesn't he find it offensive when you say these things about fighters? And I'm like, I don't think so. I'm just speaking from a person who's worked with them, my perspective. But if I've ever offended you, I apologize. I have to be cons 
I'd be cognizant of that. But fighters always assume my issue is weight. My issue is weight. Kevin Lee didn't lose his fight because of weight. He lost it because he overpursued a takedown because he got panicked when he was put under duress. When he was having to work and there was a threat, he, over he overreacted. He always does. He he's done it routinely. He's not defensively sound throughout the a five round or three round fight. He always gives you opportunities, not because he's a dumb fighter, but because he gets lackadaisical and he over pursues. He gets sloppy. That's a mental issue. That's not a weight issue. That's a mental issue. Getting submitted isn't a weight isn't a isn't a weight issue. That that's a lack of skill. That's putting yourself in a position against this guy you can't afford to put yourself in that kind of position work. Against Ally Quinta, the weight was an issue. The fact is, he hadn't addressed his offense. He hadn't addressed his striking defense. And his wrestling's never been good enough to just dominate anybody with any sort of class as a wrestler. These are technical and strategical issues that he has not addressed over the length of his career. And if you follow my criticism, Kevin Lee, it's been the same stuff. I've said the same thing about him for the past two to three years because he hasn't gotten any better. So the weight would help. He wouldn't miss weight, which would save him money, and he'd look like a professional. Maybe he'd be a little bit more fresher, but what's the point of having better energy if he still can't really take punches that well? Because at 55, he still kind of flinches from punches, and at 70, he gets backed all the way up at punches. So what's what's really going to—the weight's not going to help that. The weight's not going to help poor decision-making. It's not going to help lackluster striking. It's not going to help you leaning on athleticism you don't have. It doesn't address any of those problems. But fighters always assume if I can fight it this way or fight this way, it's going to fix my problem. No, your problem is a skill problem, a skill and a strategy problem. You need to address those first. Now, if he was just losing because he was gassing, that'd be different. If he was losing just because he was getting physically bullied, that'd be different. He's losing because he's not good enough. And he's losing because he fights a very sloppy, very overly aggressive fight style. That's why he's losing. It's got nothing to do with weight. Okay, man, that's some excellent breakdown there. And your thoughts on what the issues are in Kevin Lee's game. Let's talk about that co-main event where Gilbert Burns got a quick win over Damian Maya, and he finished him in the first round via um, TKO uh, due to strikes. Uh, first and foremost, did you agree with the stoppage? Uh, yeah. I mean, I think you should just play, play the same with a guy like Damian Maya. His age with his mileage – and the fact he's never been super durable against an explosive big puncher early, you're not taking any chances. It'd be different if it was a regular MMA fighter or an okay wrestler, or an okay grappler, because you're thinking Damian might have the chance to pull a submission out. Gilbert Burns is good enough grappler, at least at least comparable, if not better than Maya. He's not going to get caught in a submission. Not when Maya's rocked and he's about to put coffin nails into him. That the likelihood of that happening in that matchup isn't very high. It's most likely Damon's going to take a beating and possibly get seriously hurt. Okay, I definitely agreed with it as well, too. Um, Maya wasn't out when he hit the ground, but Burns was definitely in a position to put the, put the hurt on him, and I like the idea that Burns didn't want to jump on him and pound him out of there due to out of respect, because a lot of people have a lot of respect for Damon Maya, and I appreciate that. Uh, yeah, I was, I was impressed that he fought, he fought very smart, like you thought he might get in that ego and try to challenge him in the grappling, and he just like, I have a clear advantage here. I'm not even playing. I'm not. I'm not even playing this game. I'm just gonna light him up on the feet in, in that discussion right there. And that was the best way he could have handled it. Well, I think he did. I think he did try to challenge. Um, he. I mean, I don't think he did. He did try to challenge Maya on the ground, and Maya took his back, 
like right out the gate. Um, and he took his back and he mounted him. Um, but Burns was Burns is knowledgeable enough to get out from those positions. Like as I said, Maya's an ADCC gold medalist. Burns is an ADCC bronze medalist. These two guys are not scrubs on the mat. I'm not saying that they're comparable. I think Maya will win a straight up grappling match. Mm, Maya would. Uh, I will. Since Burns is more active in that space, I think he under, he he plays the rules a little bit better. But that's neither a conversation here nor there. Um, and so, like he was, he wasn't like Gunnar Nelson, where Gunnar Nelson almost refused to strike with him. He just kept searching for the grappling, and it's like, why are you doing this? This guy cannot hang on the feet. You have an athletic advantage, a power advantage, and a skill advantage. How are you just constantly chasing grappling exchanges against a guy his caliber? Even if you're better than him, why are you? basically forcing the fight into an area where he can compete with you when you know he can't compete with you anywhere else. I mean, Nelson was outgrappled by both of them. And Burns was outgrappled in this situation here, too, as well. He was able to get out from bottom, which was imperative. But as soon as he got out from bottom, you saw he got right back to the feet, and he was trying to keep it there. So I I agree with your um, sentiment, but I do think Maya did well. I think both men did well in this situation here. What are your thoughts about... What's next for Burns? He tried to slide into that potential fight with Tyron Woodley, but we saw that fall apart. What do you think is next for him? Because he's sitting at number six in the welterweight division. And we have ahead of him, we have Steven Thompson and Leon Edwards. Both of those guys look like interesting fights, especially since Edwards has been pushed out of UFC London. Well, and if they don't rebook that fight with Tyron Woodley, they, they'll need an opponent for him. And you also have Steven Thompson as well. Above that, you have Jorge Masvidal, Kobe Covington, and Tyron Woodley. What are your thoughts about that makeup there? Uh, like If I'm Burns, I'm waiting for the biggest fight I can get. There's going to be a lot of guys you know, who will want somebody to come in last second or or, you know, make this card. And I think at this point, he's got to start making business decisions. He's coming off a big win and a stoppage win over Maya. And Maya hasn't been stopped in, in, uh, in quite a while. You know, but last time I remember, I don't think he's been stopped since Roy McDonald finished him. But um, it's a big win. It was on a big stage. And I just think if I'm Burns, I'm making business decisions from here on out. If they give me a, they give me a Cowboy Cerrone, I might take that because that's a big fight. If they give me a... Conor McGregor, I'll take that as a big fight. They give me a Tyron Woodley, I'll take that because that's a big fight. But outside of that, um, I, I, I'm just sitting and waiting to see how the how things unfold. Because he's at a point where he's never he's he's never had this much heat. He's never been at this position, and one loss is going to send him tumbling down. He's not a named guy. He's not a particularly popular guy. He needs to be very careful in what his next decision is regard, regarding who he fights and where he fights him at. What were your thoughts about the two proposed retirement fights for Maya, uh, Diego Sanchez and Donald Cerrone? I think Donald Cerrone is, is the best bet out of the two. But what were some of your thoughts about that there? Well, um, how can I put it? I would think Donald Cerrone would be an interesting fight. I really, I almost want to see the Diego fight just because Diego is not, it's going to be, it's going to be the grappling match everybody wants. Diego isn't, isn't as high a level grappler as Maya, but he's, very well conditioned. He's an excellent scrambler, and he's very creative when it comes to escapes or counters. So I feel like he'd be able to make an interesting fight, and he would engage Maya exclusively grappling, which is the best thing for both guys. Uh, Diego really shouldn't be taking any punishment on the feet if he can avoid it. I'd rather not see Damian Maya take any feet punishment on the feet if he can avoid it. And it would be a good high high-paced action fight. So I'd probably, I'd probably like to see that Diego fight a little bit more against 
Donald against Cowboy Cerrone, even though Cowboy tends to freeze up against a certain level of guy, I don't know that Maya is the style or the guy who's going to make him freeze up. I, I think he, he actually beats Maya. Uh, Diego, I feel, is a win for Maya, and it's him going out in a high, highly competitive grappling for, fight. You know, Diego's going to try to strike with him, but the minute Maya shoots on him or tries to clinch up, Diego's going to go all in on grappling with him. And that's really what everybody wants to see when it comes to Maya. They want to see him grapple with somebody who's willing to engage, capable of at least escaping a few spots and pushing him a little bit, and then see Maya show the separation between him and MMA fighters. So I, I think that would be the fight I'd want to see. Your thoughts there, sir. Let's talk about some other action from the card uh, where we saw Hanato Moikano get a submission win over Had Had Hadzovic. Uh, Moikano called out Felder as well, and he looked good at, at 155 in this fight here. But do you think he's someone to watch at lightweight, or is he going to be outsized eventually at this um, in this division? Well, I think Moikano. He's been he's been often told that he's this great defensive fighter. He's not. What really separates him is he's got a He's got a natural physicality, and he's got a broad set of skills as far as his offense. I won't say they're high level, necessarily high level technically, but he's got a good, he's got a good depth of skill, and he's got a nice wide skill range. Um, I don't know that he's a super physical fighter, so I don't know that the, he'll necessarily get outsized. But I do know that his defense is in top notch, and against guys, there's so many guys like with division, even guys who aren't elite, who are capable of dynamic and explosive offense. And I feel that that's going to be the biggest factor more than anything else. That is not even the physicality, just the fact that these guys, he's a little, he's probably a little bit better athlete than some of them, but defensively he's, he's kind of predictable. He's kind of got one layer of defense. And once guys get to that layer, I feel that he, he just won't be able to stand up to what they have to offer. And I don't think that he hits hard enough, nor is he physically strong enough to really keep guys off him or to control guys for the better part of rounds to avoid punishment. So I feel like it's his lack of durability and his, his inconsistent defense, which is really going to be the problem at a lightweight more so than anything else as, as regards to size or physicality. Who do you, who would like to see him face next? If it's not Felder. Uh, it's not Felder. I mean, Felder's a really good fight for him. Um, if it's not Felder at 55, let me think. I wouldn't mind seeing him face somebody, somebody like a like an Aya Quinta. Give him a cup. Yeah, more. Some. I mean, I know that's not going to probably. It's not most likely not going to happen. But somebody like Aya Quinta would be a good fight for him to let him kind of get his sea legs underneath him, face a guy who's durable, who's got some physicality, and who's got enough, who's shown that he's got enough experience to survive against elite guys, even if he can't necessarily win against elite guys. Um, let's see, let's see. I wanted to talk about one other piece of this fight as well, too. Uh, or this, um, two other, two other bouts I wanted to talk about. Nikita Kraloff and Johnny Walker. The main thing I wanted to talk about here is, is Walker being exposed or is Kraloff continuing to excel? And the reason why I asked that is because, uh, Walker did not look good on the ground at all. What are your thoughts about this? Is he really being exposed out here or is he someone that is at a point where he needs to change something up before he, he can grow uh, I don't know that he's being exposed. He was never that good a fighter. He's a big, strong, athletic guy. And anytime you're, you, it's like any sport, football, basketball, baseball, boxing, kickboxing, even jujitsu for a certain degree. 
I know everybody says in jiu-jitsu and submissions it's not about athleticism, but if you have a guy who's a white belt, who's a top, who's 10, 10 levels higher than you as far as an athlete, but he's a solid white, sol- let's say solid blue belt, even if you're way better than him technically, that size, that explosiveness, that physical strength is going to allow him to survive a lot longer than a guy of his skill set because he's got, the, he's got the physical attributes to get out of certain spots. And he's got the physical attributes to force you into spots, even if he doesn't have the technical skills. It's the same thing for boxing, same thing in basketball. That's all Johnny Walker is. I haven't seen him put together structured combinations. I haven't seen him put together really well-set-up takedowns or well-set-up ex- escapes or or well-set-up counters. It's all explosiveness, length, and the creativity that comes from being a superior athlete. Not a lot of skill in there. So I didn't think he was that good in the first place, and this is just exposing that that he really is a fairly one-dimensional athlete. I know that uh, he's working with Zahabi, if I recall correctly, and that. But once again, like Kevin Lee, that takes time. The only difference between Kevin Lee and Walker is in Walker's weight class, he's considered an elite athlete. But the fact of the matter is, he doesn't he doesn't have the skill set, nor does he have the maturity necessary to handle being put in bad spots. When he gets to put in bad spots. He, he he exerts too much energy. When a guy is pressing him or putting pressure on him, he exerts too much energy trying to get away. He exerts too much energy throwing strikes to create space instead of being calm and poised and sliding across the ring, stepping out of angles, or feigning to create space. He throws huge amounts of offense to create the space instead of using his footwork. He doesn't know how to close distance properly, so he explodes into it. Every time you have an explosion, there's a big drop in activity. There's a big drop in defensive awareness. There's a big drop in the dynamic aspect of his offense, which makes him vulnerable. And he doesn't have the skill set necessary to navigate it. When he makes a big move and gets taken down, he doesn't know how to work his way back up. He essentially tries to explode his way out of everything, which works to a degree until you face a guy with enough athleticism or enough size to kind of stymie that, which means you waste all your energy trying to get to a better spot. And then even when you get to that better spot, it's either laden around or you can't do any damage because you're so tired. He has no natural feel for fighting, and he has no developed or refined mental acuity for fighting. So he makes a lot of mistakes and he doesn't have the poise and maturity to write out the mistakes he makes calmly. It's all explode, explode, get out, get out, get away, get away, get away. Let me get the take there. Let me land this shot. There's there's no buildup. There's no setup. And he, he hasn't been trained pro- properly for a period of time long enough for him to make these things second nature. So he was never that good. And he's in this right now. He's in that transition period where he's going from wild fighting athlete to actual trying to make an attempt to be a fighter, which means he's going to have a bumpy road ahead of him. He could still win some because he's so dynamic and he's fighting a light heavyweight, which is weak. But he's going to take some damage and he's going to have some losses because he's trying to find the balance between using his athleticism to maximize the skills and using it as a crutch. Right now, it's still a crutch, and he's used it for the majority of his career, and it's still kicking him in the ass as a result. He just needs more time and he needs more reps and he needs to find guys who are comparable athletes so he just can't athlete his way out of things. He actually has to develop skill and feel for them. All right, all right there. And last one I wanted to talk about from Saturday is Brandon Moreno and Juice Formiga. Is this a coming out moment for Moreno? He defeated one of the top contenders for the flyweight title and should he be the man that's steps up next if they do the rematch between uh, Figueroa and Benavides. Uh, it was a come out. The biggest thing with Moreno is he's been a guy, he's also a guy who fought in spots. And he either would strike or wrestle. He had a hard time putting things together. He had a hard time 
whether it's going for striking to grappling to wrestling, he had a hard time going offense or defense. He just had a hard time maintaining any sort of control. He would have these big moments of offense, and once he got past that, he would essentially get outworked, beat up, or broken down over the over the length of a fight. An example of that would be his fight with Sergio Pettis. Put him in some really bad spots early. Rest of the fight was just him getting beat up on the feet and neutralized in every wrestling, grappling, or striking attempt he made. Uh, I saw some growth in him. I saw some... He fought with some sort of aggression, but controlled aggression. And he seemed a little bit more sharper, more aware defensively. I won't say he was a whole lot better defensively, but more aware defensively. And he was attacking uh, Juicier in spots where he wasn't strong in. He didn't run into clinches. He didn't allow Juicier to put him up against the fence continuously and force him into spots where he'd have to burn a lot of energy trying to get back to the positions he wanted to. He tried. He fought responsibly, and he tr- he essentially avoided those spots, and, and he picked his spots to be offensive. And I don't think Formiga was expecting that. I don't think Formiga was expecting the wild man, a guy who's easy to hit, a guy who's going to fall into clinches, a guy who's going to stand in front of him a little bit. And, and he didn't get that. And I think it threw him off, and I think it showed a breakthrough for Brandon Moreno. And um, if, he, if he ends up fighting someone like Joseph Benavides, that's an even-money fight given his explosiveness, how hard he hits, and how, how, how athletic he is. So um, I think he set himself up for a potential title fight after uh, this rematch they're having, if, if, if they're in fact having that rematch whenever they have it. How would you take him against both of those fighters? Oh, man. Uh, I'm always going to favor Benavides because I I, I'm such a fan of his skill set. I'm such a fan of his discipline and, and the, the variety of skills he has and his ability to work through bad spots. Unless you outright finish him, Benavides has shown an ability to, ability to adjust, whether it's pushing a pace, slowing down the pace, getting into grappling exchanges, or just forcing wrestling exchanges to get to his end goal, which is to wear you down, let his power and his timing take over the fight. So I'm always going to pick Benavides. The thing is, Benavides is getting easier to hit. His defense has never been great, and I don't think he takes shots like he used to. So Moreno's a very light dog against him because he's just, he doesn't have the chin he used to have. He, he still makes similar mistakes in striking exchanges, but he no longer has the physical ability to recover or just to take the strikes uh, straight up. So I, I would pick, More- I would pick um, Benavides, but with a, with a real, like maybe 49, 51%. 51% Joe, 49% Moreno. Um, against his, I can't even remember his opponent's name. That guy, I just don't have uh, very much opinion of that guy. Figueroa, he's a big, strong guy. He can take punishment. He doesn't get scared off. But if Moreno can apply steady pressure and just keep from getting wild and burning himself out, I don't see how he doesn't get past Figueroa. I know he's strong. I know he's he he's physically durable, which allows him to maintain his composure because he's not really getting hurt. And guys can't handle his pressure and his physicality. But I believe Moreno can. It's just a matter of will Moreno fight a clean five rounds. If he fights a clean five rounds, if he fights with poise and he applies the power he has to the right spots, a.k.a. the body and the legs, I, I really believe that he beats, he beats uh, Figueroa pretty, pretty, pretty decisively. Um, I don't think Figueroa has the skill set to really, to really test him. He has the physical durability and the pressure, but he didn't have the skill set. His offensive, his offensive footwork is terrible. His defense is awful and his striking is so-so at best. The... It, the, the toughest matchup for him is going to be Joseph Benavides because the depth of skill, the width of skill, and the championship level experience. That's going to be the toughest fight for him. Okay there, sir. Um, let's go ahead 
And let's close this section out here. I appreciate your thoughts on that. And let's move over to topic number two. And let's talk about the continued impact that coronavirus is having on the MMA industry. And let's start with talking about this weekend. So first and foremost, Bellator canceled UFC 241 mere hours before it was supposed to begin. They had fighters all weighed in, everybody in position to start the fights, and they decided to cancel it. But not only was it canceled, they also elected to pay everyone involved. Fighters, corners, oh, excuse me, fighters, cut men, officials, everybody involved. Talk to me about that. The fighter response was widely positive, saying that they understood why this needed to be done and they're appreciative of it. Do you think this boosts um, Bellator's status within the sport at all? Do you think this, this is a positive PR moment that they snatched away from the UFC when it mattered most? Yes. I mean, it's the fact of the matter is their fighters didn't have to put themselves at unnecessary risk, and all their fighters who made weight and did everything um, got got their money. I mean, how do you not consider it a win for Bellator when the UFC, which is the bigger, more established, and for all intents and purposes, the more successful and financially financially stable company, is making guys expose themselves to adverse situations just to make their money, and Bellator is not. You know, I'm not saying Bellator is comparable as far as the level of competition or maybe even the quality, but in a sense like this, sometimes how you're treated matters. You know, you could go to a place that has food that's a, ten, a restaurant, the food's a 10 there, but the service is a 3. Another place, the food's, let's say, an 8, but the service is a 10. You'll take that 8 because you want to be treated a certain kind of way. And you're not, you might want the best, but when you get the best, you want to be treated the best way too. And in this instance, the UFC's uh, kind of looking like makes Dana look like he's a egomaniac, and kind of makes them seem like they don't ha have any concern for the fighters' well-being or their health outside of fighting. Like, hey, you fight—that's all I care about. Wh whatever problems you have before or after is not my concern. I only care about you showing up and fighting. Do you think that this will cause more fighters to look at Bellator as a possible option when the contracts come up? I think if you're a certain caliber of fighter, you already look at it. I, I know a lot of people in different camps. And, you know, a lot of them, if you get a big enough name in the UFC, like where you're some kind of familiarity, you have some kind of name value, you always look to explore the Bellator option because the Bellator option allows you to have sponsors. You have as many sponsors as you want, allows you to fight in different organizations, allows you to do different things, box, fight in Risen, whatever other things you want to do, wrestle. It gives you the freedom to do that, and it allows you to get sponsors. The thing with the UFC is being a UFC fighter carries a certain amount of cachet, especially if you're competing in the, the highest level of it as far as contenders or, uh, or uh, maybe having a belt. The belt tour really can't compete with that. The UFC, it's like playing, in the, uh, playing overseas pro as a basketball player. You get a lot of acclaim for that, but then if you play in the NBA – you're still more well-known, you have more opportunities, you, you're a bigger star in, your, in the country you come from. Whether, you, whether it's Brazil, China, whatever, if you play, if you fight in the UFC, you're just a bigger star. But it, I think a lot of fighters already consider it just because of the financial aspects. Fighting is a very short-term career, and if you have any sort of name value, Bellator can kind of maximize your earnings in a very short period of time. Maybe you won't fight the best competition, maybe you won't have the biggest name, but the paychecks are quite a, the paychecks overall are going to be quite a bit better than what the UFC has to offer because 
that you have multiple income revenue, multiple streams of income coming in outside of just your fighter salary. So let's talk about the UFC aspect of it now. They canceled the next three events, but they refused to cancel UFC 249. What are your thoughts about them canceling their shows? And also, do you think UFC 249 actually occurs? I don't believe it does at all. I think they're trying to avoid some kind of legal thing. I think, you know, because I started thinking, you know, let's say these fighters get it, and I don't think they've tested the fighters before, if I'm correct. If at some point, you know, a lot of these fighters live with people, live with their parents, have parents, have kids, and, you know, there's a lot of stories of fighters with kids and parents and wives and grandparents who they live with or live next to who have health problems. If you somehow get this and you pass it to someone who's got cancer or lung problems or whatever going on, uh, that, that might be a death sentence for them. And since the UFC didn't test many of them before, who's to say they didn't get it fighting at the event? You know, there's no proof to that, to that but there's no proof against it either. Um, it just, it's just the best thing they can do right now. They're trying to make sure the Tony and Khabib fight happens because that fight's been on deck how many times and been canceled? So this would be like the third or fourth time the fight's been canceled, which, which it, when things go back to normal, takes all the luster off the fight. Because people are going to be like, this fight always gets canceled. I'm not buying tickets for this. I'm not, buy, I'm not buying this pay-per-view until I see him the day before the fight. And even then, I might not buy it. Because something might happen in between there. So he really wants to make this fight happen. Because every time this fight gets canceled because somebody got injured or something happened, it just takes some of the luster off the fight. Because people can't really get excited for it. Because it always seems to fall through some way, somehow. If they make it, well, let me pause this. If they cancel it, do they, when they cancel it, I don't think this fight is occurring. Do you think they make it again? Um, I think they might take a more appealing fight first. I think Tony gets screwed again and has to fight another fight first. Okay, true, true. And let's talk about the financial aspects of UFC. Um, trying to push these fights and trying to keep people on these cards. Do you think it is because of Endeavor is looking to bring in as much revenue as possible? They also kept their um, professional bull riders uh, events going on as well while everything else is shutting shutting down. You have Major League Baseball shutting down, NBA shutting down, hockey shutting down. Do you think Endeavor did this specifically because they need to bring in as much money as possible? I think that's some of it, but I think... um... I think a lot of it is just trying to take over in the in the void of sports. Like we don't have any competition. If we maintain our presence, then we can curry favor with the fans. Because when everything comes back, we can say we still perform for y'all. We're not like those millionaires over there who 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 consider their own safety first or consider consider their own well being first. We didn't look out for our brands. We looked out for the fans who who wanted who wanted to see fights. So I think they're trying to exploit the vacuum in sports right now and hopefully and hopefully uh, establish, establish favor with the fan base and maybe get, get a bigger part of the market when things come back to normal. But do you think, do you think fans will be quick to respond when it comes back to uh, normal? Do you think that people will be ready to bounce right back in, in, into the mixed martial arts space? Well, they'll bounce back now because what was everybody saying before? We're getting there's just so many fights and so many weak cards and so many events. I mean, now they're gonna they're gonna have to take a break, and I believe that when they start having these uh 
when they start having these uh, cards, they're going to start coming back with heavily, heavily stacked cards to kind of get the attention back. Because when they come back, if everything goes to norm, then all the other sports are going to come back and they're really going to have to stand out. Say that again. I said I believe they're going to come back with stacked cards trying to really stand out and really make an impression on the fans. Because if the other sports come back at the same time, then they're going to have competition. And if the other sports don't, they're going to want to put out a really, really hot pro- project so that the fans will really it'll make an impression on them to hopefully carry over in the next couple of years or so. Because literally everybody else is just completely out of the game right now. And even if they're not fighting, they're still getting attention from the fact that they're willing or trying to force events to happen now. The UFC is still on the front page. Yeah, true. What do you think about the um, MMA's, the lack, this lack of coverage of this situation in the sports world? You see ESPN covering MMA almost in, like a, in a puff type of fashion where they're talking about it as if nothing's really wrong. But in a world where everything else is being shut down, you still have the UFC still trying to push forward. Uh, what are your th- thoughts about that? Uh, it's amazing how much people just don't. How it's amazing how how many fighters who are on the higher end of the earning are insisting on fighting. It's it's amazing how the the fans who are against it and the media who's against it literally don't get any sort of run as far as a national impact and a news story. I mean, it's like it's like people a lot of people consider fighters animals or brutes, and it's like they're almost treating them as such because so many people are just like let them fight and and. The severity of this is like either people don't care about the severity because they're fighters, or I don't know. It it's just it just makes it it makes the dehumanization of the fighters a little bit more real to me. And that's very concerning for me. True, true. And I just wrote a piece about whether or not we're heading for a situation where fighters can unionize. I think they just missed a big opportunity this past weekend. Uh, You have the UFC trying to push forward with these three cards. You have them contacting organizations saying, we'll take anybody that's willing to fight and just send send us whoever you got. And people were jumping for it, jumping at the opportunity when if they could have put a stake in the ground and said, no, this is when we want to be brought to the negotiating table, that did not occur. So do you think this is an opportunity that they missed out on? It is. We what have we what have we always said on this show? Everybody talks that stuff until it comes their time to get paid or get the opportunity. Remember, remember Donald Cerrone stood proudly about the pay until he got his check. Remember Jose Aldo? These people, my kids are struggling. I have people fighting the UFC and they can't pay their bills and their wives are pregnant and it's just horrible. And then he renewed his contract and then he shut the fuck up too. <laughs> Everybody does this. It's like nobody can get ahead because all the fighters aren't thinking, as I said before, nobody is willing to take the hit for the benefit of the rest of the people. Everybody not only wants to make a name for themselves, they want to be around for the ben- for the victory lap. They want to get their roses now, and that's not how it works. Not, in, not for society, not in race issues, not in gender issues, nothing. The people who are on the front lines rarely get to benefit. It's their family and perfect strangers they never met who get to benefit. These fighters aren't willing to make that sacrifice. No fighter is willing to put his his career on the line to make a stand or get on Dana's bad side. They're all willing to turn each other in for the chance to fight. If me and you were fighters, we're in the same camp, and you say, Shawan, I'm taking a stand. I'm not fighting because I'm not risking my health. I'm like, man, I support you, Raphael. Man, man, F Dana White. Hey, Shawan, they want you in the UFC. I'll take it. That's what happens. 
So they, there's never any point where they can make a stand because the minute anybody gets a better offer, they're going to kick the rest of us down the hill to take whatever gold coin Dana White offers. So they have no leeway. They have no ability to make these stands because they can't, they're unwilling to, to make a sacrifice in their career. And that is just an example of how bad it is. You know, everybody's, the whole, everything else is shut down, but Dana White is scrambling and he's got managers fielding calls for fighters who are like, I'll take it on short notice. I don't care. UFC, UFC, get me on there. So they'll never have any leeway. The UFC's program these guys to only care about the brand, only compare about those letters, and those guys will risk their health. They'll take lower paydays and they'll fight better competition just to have an opportunity to fight in the UFC. I, I know guys who turn down huge, huge paydays to fight in the UFC. I talked to King Mo and other people about it. He's like, one guy turned down $10,000 more a fight to fight in the UFC. And he's like, why would you do that? Oh, it's my dream to fight in the UFC. And I was like, dream? Man, it's my dream to pay for my kids and pay for my family. That's my dream. Very true there, sir. I, um, is there anything else you want to say in reference to how this matter is being handled across the sport and the overall impact you expect to see from the coronavirus hitting the MMA world? Um, I'm surprised at how bold Dana White is. Like, he really is untouchable. Nobody goes after this guy. Nobody comes for this guy. He just says and does what he wants, and nothing sticks to him. That's the thing that is it's most shocking to me, but at the same time, not shocking at all because that's always the way, been the way it is. He's, he, just, he can say whatever he wants, and he's got millions of fans who will insulate him from any sort of harsh, harsh payment or harsh result. And it's, it's shocking to me to see somebody have this much power and be this reckless and be this tasteless in some of the comments they make. Yeah, that really shocked me too, uh, that people were just not paying attention to this outside of the MMA community. And even within the MMA community, of course, there's always that space of people who don't see anything that he does as wrong. So they're going to argue anything that they can for him. So it was it was just disheartening. Um, I don't know if you saw Random Marcos's tweet where she was talking about she's coming back from she fought over in Brazilia and she came back and she's not feeling well. She couldn't get tested. And so who knows? what impact that may have just within the people she's come in contact with over the last four or five days. We don't know because they're not testing and they can't test and they won't test. So we don't know what the implications of this will be. We just saw that Kevin Durant and four, I think four more Nets players came up with um, coronavirus. Uh, we all know about Rudy Gabbard and Donovan Mitchell came up with it. Tom Hanks, his wife, Idris Elba. I mean, people are popping up with it left and right. There's five thousand i think now cases in, in the united states um italy france have been basically shut down people are quarantined to their homes so things are really going to change and we don't know what the widespread impact of that will be and to see that dana white specifically leading this sport was able to just shun all of that and say we're going to do whatever we want to do was really disheartening to see remember when we said how you people need to stop doing doing favors for billionaires millionaires because because when it comes down to it, Dana White can say, I didn't force you to fight. You had a contract. You agreed to it. You could have turned the fight down. You could have said no. Somebody else would. And the fact is, I don't know that he bullied anybody into doing it. He just had the fight cards going on. All the fighters could have said, no, I'm not doing it. Nobody said no, that. That's just a fact. So it's not like he intimidated. not like he insinuated you get cut. He didn't say any of that. He just had the fight cards going on. Now, I don't know what happened behind the scenes, but 
you're all adults, you have families, you have kids in some cases, you have husbands and wives, you you know how the world works as far as being in a fight and the damage that comes with it and what would happen if you got contracted a virus and how that, how that would hurt you from getting medical attention that you will need after a fight. You all know this. If I know it, you know it. Because what do fighters always say? I'm a fighter. You don't know. You don't know the risk. So you knew the risk and you still did this. So why do you want me to fight a battle for you that you won't fight for yourself? You want fans to rally for you. Two minutes ago, I was an idiot who doesn't know the sacrifice the fights, fighters go through. But now I'm supposed to fight your battle for you? That's, that's, not, that's not how it works, man. And you're an adult, if nothing else. You made a conscious decision. Does it suck? Yeah. Do you need your paycheck? Yeah. But the fact of the matter is you decided to go through this. And if you're telling me that grown men and women didn't know this was a possibility, then they're, they're making fighters look bad on so many levels. Not only are they making fighters look irresponsible, they're making them look dumb. To be like, well, I didn't know this could happen. You didn't know that you could get injured in a fight and that you could possibly catch a disease and that would impact your ability to get help? You didn't know this? This never dawned on you? Okay, well, we got a whole other problem than pay scale. We got real problems because y'all's comprehension, ability to comprehend and process information is sorely lacking. We got a bigger problem than pay scale. Uh, let's move into round three and let's talk about some listener questions. Uh, so the first one is in reference to Kevin Lee. What do you think he needs to do to improve his uh, submission defense? This is his third time getting tapped. I think this is his third straight way of losing. As well, uh, maybe that that may not be right, but this is his third time getting submitted. He was um, submitted by Tony Ferguson, Rafael dos Anjos, and now Charles Oliveira. What does he need to do to work on his submission defense? Let me ask you a question. Didn't he also get submitted with Rafael Desanos chasing a takedown? And then he, like, got reversed or something, if I'm correct? I don't remember. It was by head and arm choke. So I could see that happening if it ended up in a, in a scramble. But I don't remember how that fight ended. I, I, feel like it's, I, feel like, I feel like a lot of these fights get lost in these scrambles. Like, people tend to think Kevin Lee is some high-level elite wrestler. All the people I talk to who were MMA fighters or high-level wrestlers keep telling me a different story. They're like, he's okay. He's all, like, yeah, he can wrestle, but he ain't like, he's not like a King Mo. He's, he might not even be a Josh Koscheck. He ain't, he's not like some guy who's just some Phil Davis or even Ryan Bader. He's not that kind of wrestler. So I don't, I don't know that Kevin Lee's wrestling is, is as great as he thinks it is. I know he's definitely not the physical athlete that he thinks he is. I think a lot of the problems come through with the fact of the matter that he's getting submitted because he's getting submitted in these scrambles. He's putting himself in bad positions because he's overestimated his ability to A, get out of them, or B, control people on the ground, and often he gets into scrambles and gets finished. That's pretty much it. I don't, I don't know that he's essentially just being outgrappled from beginning to end so much as he's not able to hold position and he, he gets desperate in trying to hold position or trying to regain position and sets himself up and gets caught in transition. It's like, it's a lack of focus. It's a lack of discipline. It's not a huge mistake he's making. It's like in the detail. You know, it's like, um, it's not like he's missing a whole step. It's like, it's like a math problem. In English, you can be kind of close, or you can, can spin it any way you want to make, make something make sense. Because there's dialects, there's tone, there's stories it, in, the, in the process of overall writing. But when you're talking about math or science, it's either this or it's either that. And 
you know, a half a milligram of this changes the whole composition of something. And to me, that's what Kevin Lee is. He just, he misses out on fine details because he tends to get panicked when put into dangerous situations. When he's in control, he doesn't make these mistakes. When he's comfortable and he's calm, he's fine. But when he's starting to take over control and really start putting on somebody, or when he feels like he's in danger, he tends to press a little bit. And he gives the guys opportunities to finish him. It's just mental mistakes. I don't even know if it's a technical. I think he's skillful enough to avoid submissions and technical enough to get out of submissions. But it's like he he just mentally chokes and puts himself in position and panics once he gets into it and then he gets finished. That, that's the way it seems to me. You're you're more of an in-depth grappler than myself. So, you know, I, I'd pose the same question to you. What do you feel? Why do you feel like he's getting submitted like this? Because I, I don't think it's just pure skill. I really think it's mental mental mistakes. Who does he train with? Where is he training? Uh, he's training with Zahabi now. Yeah, Faraz. And I mean, Faraz goes, I mean, well, GSP always went to Henzo to get his um, get his jujitsu training. And I'm not sure if that's where Kevin Lee is going as well. I'm not, I wouldn't be surprised if it's not. But the mistakes he made on Saturday were, the, the, like I said, the type of mistakes that come at an early, at an early point. He got that single leg. If you notice, the way Damian Maya finished his single was completely different against the way um, Kevin Lee attempted to finish their single. And they were going up against two guys who could both finish from that position, if need be. So that, and you can say that Damian Maya's wrestling isn't fantastic, but his wrestling is enough to allow him to employ his, um, his, 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 his ground abilities. So there's something about what Kevin Lee is doing that's not helping him in these types of, of fights. He did the same thing against Tony Ferguson. He shot for a takedown and ended up getting triangle out of it. So it's the same situation there. He needs to figure out what he's doing from a wrestling basis, mixing in, mixing his strike to his grappling, to his wrestling that is causing him to make these type of mistakes that sees him get finished by high-level grapplers. I think that that's really the big issue there. It seems like he just gets desperate. Like, he, once he starts taking a couple shots, like, he didn't have the defense to roll and slip and parry, like, to duck under a shot and then go for takedown or to fake. Like, his footwork, it's like people always say striking can't, can't help you with wrestling, but it can. If you have the, like, Damian Maya uses very specific pressuring footwork to get guys up against the cage without him even really striking. He's in a position where he forces guys to throw at him and he can get those clinches or body locks force him up his cage and slowly drag him down. Kevin Lee doesn't have that. He doesn't have good entries on his footwork. When you press him, he goes straight back. He doesn't know how to dip off at an angle, change levels, and get a takedown. He doesn't know how to just to duck under strikes to get a takedown. It's all very reaction. It's all very forced. It's not reactionary. It's all very forced, and it's all very desperate. He's taking shots from too far out. He's chasing them when he clearly doesn't have them. He's leaving his neck out when he shouldn't. It's, like, it's just basic mistakes that seem to come when he either gets comfortable, he lulls himself, he lulls himself to sleep, or he's in danger, he just overreacts and, and panics. And, and according to Kevin Lee, his, his corner told him everything to do, but for some reason, he just didn't do it. So if he's getting good direction and he's been trained well, the issue is that mentally, he, it's not coming all together for him, to me. Yeah, something isn't coming together for him at all at this point, and it's, and it's cost, costing him against some of the higher-level um, competition. Uh, yeah. The next question I want to ask is about Michael Chandler. 
Michael Chandler said he's going to test the free agency space after his fight with Benson Henderson. And let's say he comes, let's say he wins that fight, gets another victory there. Where should Michael Chandler go? Should we finally see him make a run in the UFC or is he well to pass his prime at this point? If I was him, I might try the pro the the uh, PFL. He's a big enough name to get a to get a good sized contract going in. They'll pay him good to be there, and then he always has a chance of winning that million dollars. And it's against guys. I mean, fifty five is deep, so everybody's dangerous. But given the athleticism he still has, the fact that he can still wrestle, and that he's he, he's he's competed at some of the highest levels, he's very experienced and seasoned. It might be worth a shot. I don't know that the UFC is going to pay him what he wants, especially coming off of some of the losses, even some of the wins he's had. His win, he has not looked dynamic and spectacular in years. He's lost, his chin does not seem to be there. His ability to recover does not be there. And if the UFC pays him a lot of money, they are not doing him any favors. They're throwing him in the deep end of the pool immediately. And there is a line of guys who would love to take a shot at him. Khabib Wood, Tony Wood, Gaethje Wood. Uh, I don't know who else. I don't know who else would want a shot at him. Even Charles Oliveira at this stage would. And given how vulnerable and how he seemed to half step slower, and he doesn't seem to like getting hit or take getting hit very well anymore, I think at this age, even Charles Oliveira, Charles Oliveira is a dangerous, dangerous, dangerous fight for this guy right now. Um, it's probably in his best interest to stay in Bellator. They like him. They empower him. They promote him. They've made him probably a bigger star than he would have been at any other organization. And um, he's got decent competition. But not all the guys in there are flawed enough that he can navigate his own physical flaws and his own technical issues. Once he gets to the UFC, there's nowhere to run and hide. They're going to put him in with a name, and there's a very good likelihood he gets knocked off and knocked off in a very punishing and somewhat and possibly embarrassing fashion in the UFC. Offensively, he still has the skills, but I, I don't feel durability-wise defensively, he can hang with, with the, the, the better guys in the UFC at this stage. I definitely agree with you there, man. Um, I think it's best for him to go to the PFL, too, and snatch a big contract while he can. Going to the UFC, you know they're going to throw him in with someone ridiculous, like a Justin Gaethje or something like that right out the gate. That's just not that's just not going to go well for Chandler at this point in, in, in nope. his career. So I think he should go get, over. Gaethje won that fight. Gaethje yeah. won that fight bad. I think he stops him. So um, I think going over to the PFL is the best bet for him. Uh, the last question I wanted to ask was Roger Mayweather passed away today at the age of 58. This has been a pretty tough week for Floyd Mayweather. He lost his child's mother last week and he loses his uncle in training, um, main, main trainer this week, uh, at 58 years old. What will be Roger Mayweather's legacy as a boxing trainer, um, in your opinion? Well, it'll be interesting because he was also Roger Mayweather. Unlike Floyd, Floyd's dad was a highly ranked world-class fighter. Roger was actually a world champion, a a very, 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 very good fighter. So it's one of the few times where you have a elite, elite, elite world-class fighter who also turned into an elite, elite world-class trainer. He's really the guy who developed Floyd's offensive game. When Floyd stopped using Roger, he started fighting in a more defensive manner. He started being more looking for those pot shot counters and controlling the fight with distance, movement, and positioning. When Roger was his, his coach, he, he placed a little bit more emphasis on sitting down on his punches, throwing more punches, and being more vicious offensively, whether it's in clinches or whether it's in exchanges. At, at a certain point, Floyd, uh, I think it was after the maybe the Cotto fight, I think. I think the Cotto fight was the last one that Rogers ran, Roger ran exclusively. 
after that fight, um, Floyd got hit a little bit more than he wanted to. And I think he let his dad take over. And the emphasis became almost exclusively defensive, de- being defensive in nature. You know, being more defensive and just picking his spots offensively. Um, Roger was a good trainer, but, you know, but he didn't have a lot of success with, like, a lot of fighters. He wasn't like a Freddie Roach who had six, seven, eight, nine world champions. But he was a guy who who brought Floyd up and was really – he was really the guy who coached Floyd through the pretty boy Floyd years. And that's when Floyd was really at his best, when he used to throw volume. He used to hit with power. He used to get guys out of there. He used to be exciting. He was still defensively sound, but he was exciting. He would punish guys. He would embarrass guys. Um, later on his his career, as Rogers played less of a role, Floyd went back to fighting smart, controlling distance, controlling angles, using his jab and breaking guys down uh, with with pot shots and, and little sharp counters. But when when Roger was still running things, uh, Floyd Floyd was a much more offensive fighter, and that was the the Floyd that a lot of people fell in love with, and the, and the Floyd that a lot of people still consider to be the best Floyd of all time, because that was a Floyd who was who was who was equal parts offense and defense. So he'll always be associated with he'll always be associated with that Floyd Mayweather, and some people will jokingly say that uh, he was a great trainer because he made Floyd Mayweather entertaining. And after a period of time, Floyd Mayweather's fight st- stopped being entertaining. Uh, later later on in his career, when he he went back to more of his roots as far as being a technical defensive boxer. Good thoughts there, sir. Good thoughts there. So let everybody know what you're working on this week, and let's go ahead and close out for today. I'm still working on some camp-related type articles, you know, just as I see so many fighters come in ill-prepared or so many fighters just basically come in ill-prepared. It, it's it's really embarrassing that people pay all this money and, and they don't, they have the wrong scouting report and they have the wrong, they've focused on the wrong skills coming into a fight that could change their life for the better or the worse. It, it's just shocking to me. It, it's concerning to me, but I guess nobody else cares. I guess I'm the only person who seems concerned by this, so. I'm still gonna do some. I'm still gonna write about that. Um, I'll be doing an article on Daredevil, breaking down his fighting techniques from the uh, Netflix Marvel show, and then I'll probably be doing a Black Widow one. And that movie probably comes out another month and a half, two months, and I'll do one for that as well. Nah, man, that one got popo- got postponed indefinitely. Oh, really? Wow. Mm-hmm. Well, and then I guess I'll just have more time to work on that, and then I'll just give. It's really hard because, especially with this virus thing, it's really hard to justify writing stuff when you don't know who's going to be fighting and the severity of the issue. But, you know, I, I feel like the camp thing is always something that always can be covered, whether it's women, women's mixed martial arts or men's mixed martial arts. I feel I feel MMA camps are just routinely subpar. And uh, the few fighters who have good ones are often the fighters who are stay at the be- who get, get to the top and stay at or near the top for the majority of their careers. True. Good thoughts there, sir. Um, I am going to close the show up. I'm covering the same stuff I've usually been covering every week. So check me out for MMA, mixed martial arts, uh, excuse me, MMA uh, content, professional wrestling content, and everything in between. Um, as always, as I said again, you can find our shows over on MMA Ratings Net. You can catch our content there each and every week. That's where Adam Martin is doing most of the bulk writing, and you can find our YouTube um, podcasts are embedded there. As always, you can find us on YouTube for MMA Ratings, at MMA Ratings, where our content is posted after these podcasts every Tuesday. And also um, the professional wrestling podcast I do once a week. You can find that there as well. You can find us on Spotify, Apple, iTunes, Google Before Podcasts. you close out, I have, one, I have two things I have to say. Go ahead. Real quick. One, 
we love talking. If you have any issue with any article we wrote or any comments you have regarding the show, feel free to engage us on the on the website or contact us on Twitter. We love ex explaining our points and we love defending our points. We have no problem interacting with fans. In fact, we look forward to it. Two, and this is strictly a fight thing, I just have to make this statement for people who question the greatness of Anderson Silva. You do know that Anderson Silva did better against Israel Adesanya than Yo Romero, a title two-time, three-time title contender, title challenger, Robert Whitaker, a, a title champion, and Derek Brunson, who was a top five middleweight. He landed more significant strikes than all three of those guys landed against Adesanya combined. Three world-class guys, all top five fighters, got outdone by a 40-year-old man coming off of repeated injuries and who isn't half the fighter he used to be. Let's not look down on this man's greatness. That was a great showing he had against Israel Asanya, better than three of his last four opponents put up against them. And we're talking about an old man who hasn't been world, who hasn't been elite in probably close to four to five years minimum, probably closer to seven years. So once again, just want to say that from a man, Anderson Silva, we need to appreciate him because once he's gone, he will be missed. You're right there, sir. You're right there. So um, we're going to go ahead and close out, man. We'll be back next week, uh, most likely, to kind of cover where we are in MMA space. may not be as long of a show, but we'll be back next week. I'm sure some news will break between now and then. But with that in mind, man, let's go ahead and close out. Thank you, everyone, and have a great week. See you later, guys.